We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my darling, my sweet thing, my soul sibling. Thank you for allowing Journey to Center and me to be a part of your day today. So years ago, when I wasn't doing very well on any level, one of my teachers said to me, Tammy, it seems like you have a lot of unprocessed grief. I didn't know what they meant, and I didn't know why, and I didn't know what to do about it. They said, just to give myself permission to feel my feelings and cry. The floodgates opened, and cry I did. I opened myself to grief, and on the other side was immense relief and peace. It was like the sun came out and began to shine after decades of gloom. What I now understand is that I had built walls around my heart to protect myself from hurt, but I didn't lock the hurt out. I locked the hurt in. These days when something happens that hurt, like the loss of my best friend to suicide or the death of a pet, the murder of a girlfriend, I allow myself my grieving process. It's not fun or easy, but it is part of life that most of us will have to journey through at one point. And if we can take care of ourselves, we will do better physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm grateful I've finally made friends with the process, but I know many who struggle and I get it. It can be hard to know what to do or how to walk through this. And that is why I'm having this conversation today with Claire Willis. Claire is a clinical social worker and an ordained lay Buddhist chaplain who has a private practice. She spent over two decades working with oncology patients with a focus on end-of-life issues, therapeutic writing, and bereavement counseling. She is a co-founder of Facing Cancer Together, a community of hope. Claire is also an adjunct faculty member at the Andover Newton Theological School and a former group facilitator and instructor at the wellness community. She earned a master's from the Episcopal Divinity School and an MSW as well as an MED from Boston University. Claire is also an experienced yoga teacher and the author of two books, Lasting Words, A Guide to Finding Meaning Towards the Close of Life, and her new book, which she co-authored with Marnie Crawford Samuelson, Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from Loss to Peace. Thank you so much, Claire, for saying yes to a second conversation with us here on Empower Radio. Thank you for having me back, Tammy. Absolutely. So I like something you'd said um, when we were just speaking privately. You said, when we do not allow our grief, we're living against ourselves. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I mean, grief is a normal reaction to loss of any kind. And I think one of the things that we actually haven't touched on, which I think is important to mention in passing, is that Everybody has lost something in COVID. And one of the things that COVID has done is it has resurrected for people old losses that they may not have grieved. So there's a beautiful poem by the poet Rumi and the Sufi poet Rumi. It's called The Guest House. And there's a line about different feelings coming in. And at the end of the poem, it says, um, something allow each guest for each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And I love this poem because it's an invitation to feel whatever we feel and to allow our full humanity 
to come into our being. When we repress a feeling, we tighten ourselves and we close down our heart, as you so mm-hmm. eloquently said about locking locking grief in your heart. And then it comes out sideways. It comes out mm-hmm. in rage, irritability, anger. And sometimes those feelings are easier to feel because they give us a false sense of agency. And I'm thinking right now, without naming anybody, about some well-known politicians that were recently in high offices who were always felt angry to me. And Mm -hmm. as I listened to him speak a lot, I would say to myself, what happened to this man as a child that his heart is so hardened? Mm -hmm. Because it's easier to be angry than it is to be sad. And for many people, it doesn't feel safe to be vulnerable. It doesn't feel safe to feel their helplessness and their sorrow and their tenderness because it wasn't welcomed in their life. And so we have to relearn and give ourselves permission to have those other feelings that come with grief. Mm, And you're bringing up such a valid point. I heard somebody once say beneath pain is hurt and beneath hurt is love but there can be many layers of the onion and i think it's the rare adult that gets to adulthood that hasn't accumulated a lot of hurts and heartbreaks in their backpack of life and it can be like finally like you were saying with the covid situation that there can be a straw that breaks the camel's back and it finally breaks us open and when that finally broke open for me I realized there was an inner child that had been carrying so much pain that I didn't believe Mm -hmm. I should feel. You know, I was told, as many of us are told when we're children, quit crying, don't Mm -hmm. cry, be a big girl. And then we stuff it down and we we believe we buy into that. And then we get to adulthood. We wonder why we don't feel good. I thought I was depressed. I was diagnosed as being clinically depressed. But it was much more than that. It was just the... um, accumulation of so many hurts and heartbreaks over a lifetime as a very sensitive kid. It wasn't easy to be human. And I don't think it really is for any of us. Right. Right. You know, I, I grew up in a family where there was a fair amount of tragedy. There were two suicides and they were never spoken of. And Mm -hmm. I, what happens is that our capacity for joy it becomes connected to our capacity to grieve. And mm-hmm. so we end up playing sort of the middle C range on a piano instead of having full access to our full life force. And I, 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 I was determined when I, I, I could feel something amiss in my house always. And I've come to see the incredible vitality and joy that can come and gratitude that can come from the full expression of grief. That when we lock it down, we're locking down joy and happiness. We're locking down a lot more than just the grief. Oh, you bring up a such dear, a good dear price. And I think that we create a, a, a Petri dish for disease. Because I was to just going to say that. Inside mm-hmm. Is, mm-hmm. Is, is to stress the system and to stress the system is to compromise the immune system. I have a sister right now who has lung cancer. She's very sick with it. And she says to me, I've never cried. Uh And I think, oh, my God. She doesn't know that that's a sad statement. I think it's a badge of honor. I 
can absolutely relate. Years ago, I had um, lots of upper respiratory diseases. And my ex-fiance, who had a very challenging relationship with, would call me the ice queen. And I thought that was such a compliment. It was a badge of honor. I hadn't cried for 20 years. And I was so proud of that. But then I started to understand. Yeah. And it's like you're saying, Claire, disease is unease. And I think when we don't feel our feelings, we can become right. brittle. We can become disconnected from our soul. Right. We start to become very narrow emotionally, mentally, and brittle and sick physically. And it wasn't until that straw that broke the camel's back that broke me up and allowed the floodgates of tears and grief to emerge that I finally started to, um, I think, become healthy. The energy started to flow in my body as the tears came up and out. And I started to say yes to my soul and to life rather than to stay closed down and protect myself from hurt. Well, not only does it disconnect you from yourself, but it fundamentally disconnects you from everybody around you because yes. you're maintaining a facade exactly. of okayness false, when deep inside you're not okay at all. Absolutely. So there's a loneliness and an isolation that comes with, it's very costly emotionally. Mm, and it can cost many people their lives. I think I was on my way out. Yes. And if I wouldn't have said yes to, to um, opening to my grief, I think it, I was very sick. I can see that I would have probably not been here much longer. So, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's a fascinating and it can be an also overwhelming prospect. And here's something that I love that you say in your book. Grief can be like a very messy room in our house. It's best to enter slowly and pick up one item at a time. If we try to face and take in the entire room at once, we can become overwhelmed and paralyzed by the magnitude and intensity of our feelings and by all that rich quote unquote stuff that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, and I think this is one of the things that's happened in COVID is that um, it, it has opened up other griefs. And so we have the losses. Everybody has losses. For, certainly we've lost life as we've known it. It'll never return to be the same and it shouldn't be the same. We should come back to a new life with new learnings and new priorities. At least that's my wish is that we don't quickly jump back into the normal because there's a lot that was wrong with the normal. Um, but to, to come back wiser and more tenderly and carefully mm -hmm. seems really important. Um, one of the, the things that I was going to say is there's a lot of invisible losses that we don't often even consider worthy of grief. And in the literature, they're called disenfranchised griefs. But for instance, last year on March 1st, I put my beloved cockapoo down. He was 14. He had cancer. And I had no idea that I was about to go into isolation for the next year. And that loss brought up the loss of my mother. The, I mean, there were just mm -hmm. all these losses that sort of piled up from my past that the dog and COVID opened up. And that's what can happen if we don't stay current with our grief. We all of a sudden find ourselves unexpectedly overwhelmed by grief. And we say, well, where'd that come from? I haven't thought about her in 10 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like it all just comes falling out of the backpack or that, that messy room in the house or the messy house. And yeah, to stay current with your grief. I've never heard it expressed like that, but it's something that I do these days, and I think it's it's helpful. It's been helpful for me. 
You know, I want to say something actually about pet grief, because pet grief is one of these disenfranchised griefs. And a disenfranchised grief really means that it's a grief the culture doesn't sort of sanction as being an important loss. But for many people, the loss of an animal is equal to the loss of a partner or a parent, because it's a, it's a very pure, unconditional, mm-hmm. simple love. And most of our relationships are far more complicated and few, if any, are unconditional. There's usually conditions to almost any loving. And so there's a lot of griefs people are grieving that aren't really nameable or haven't been named. So there's the grief of aging and the gradual diminishment of capacities. There's Mm -hmm. the grief of watching somebody that you perhaps care a lot about all of a sudden become a priest and they're not available in the ways that you wanted. Or people that have become transgendered. There's grief there, even though someone may want to do that. There's grief in retirement. There's grief in a move. There's There's so much grief, dementia. I mean, there's just so many invisible, less spoken about griefs that are common and that we don't have any way of culturally acknowledging. Yes. Yeah. If there's going to be change, there's going to be loss. And if there's going to be loss, there's going to be grief. And I think it's so important what you're saying, Claire, to to allow ourselves our emotions without shaming ourselves, you know, for not being different than we are, just allowing ourselves to be who we are, where we are, how we are without judgment. And that's not always an easy thing to do, but it's a wonderful thing to be aware of and maybe claim that intention. I think that's a very healthy place to start. Yeah. You know, I think one of the ways that the grief has become shame filled is Mm -hmm. that um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote these five stages of grief, which were intended for people who were dying. They were never intended for people who were grieving, but they've gotten overlaid on people who were grieving. And that's become the benchmark against which people frequently measure themselves. Am I doing this right? Am I at the right stage? I thought I was doing well, and then all of a sudden, this happened. In fact, this is something I want to just mention, um, Tammy, that seems important to identify. When you've lost someone you love, and you might, maybe you're a few months into the grief, and you feel like you're doing pretty well, and then you find yourself walking down the aisle of a supermarket, and you see a can of tuna fish, and you look at the tuna fish, and all of a sudden, you start to bawl. And I've had people say, oh, I just lost it in that moment. And I say, no, you didn't lose it you grasped it. You grasped the full catastrophe of your loss because grief comes in waves and we can't stay in the high intensity of the loss all the time or we go crazy. So it comes and goes and that's something that protects our psyche. But this sudden temporary upsurge of grief, which actually as an acronym in the literature is called STUG, sudden temporary upsurge of grief, is Mm -hmm. always temporary And it passes and there's nothing to be done about it. And it doesn't mean you're going backwards in your grief, but Mm -hmm. simply to be with it and know that by the next day it will be gone. But it's a very common experience people have against which they judge themselves harshly and shamefully. It's not a straight line, is it? Yeah, it can feel like two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back. But there is no straight path and it can be kind of unique. I mean, maybe there's some universal themes, but our process can be very unique. 
And I think just to allow and accept and have compassion for ourselves, which isn't necessarily an easy thing to do. It wasn't something I was taught to do. And I know you talk about this in your book. You talk about the RAIN technique. Can you talk about that? Um, RAIN, yeah, that's a, a practice that I learned about from Tara Brock. And a number of Buddhist teachers actually talk about this um, practice. But it's an acronym um, for working with um, big feelings. So, And it's a way to try to practice being with what is instead of trying to push it away. So the R stands for recognize a recognition of the feeling just to to recognize oh i'm feeling really angry right now and the a stands for acknowledgement and to give it some attention and not try to push it away but to acknowledge its presence the i stands for investigate so all of a sudden i'm feeling very angry i i recognize it i allow the feeling to feel it where is it in my body how am I, how is that expressing itself? And then I say to myself, where did this come from? What is, what's beneath the anger? What mm-hmm. is really happening here? And then the last one is non-identification, or I'd like to think of it as just being with it compassionately and openly so that we, we don't push away any feeling we have, no matter how dark or shameful it feels because they're all part of being human and it's asking these feelings are asking something of us if nothing else they're asking for our attention and to tend to them so how can we tend and befriend these feelings that we don't often welcome and that's a very hard thing to do and it's a very important thing to do too and it's not easy Oh, yeah. And as you're speaking of this, what comes to mind is just the the awareness and the desire and the intention to just simply not judge ourselves for wherever we are and however we're feeling. But to me, that was that was a really tough um, lesson to learn. Oh, it's tough. I agree. And, and nothing in our culture really supports that. So you have to find community that will nurture that in you. And you have to forgive and be compassionate towards yourself. Well, and as you've mentioned, this whole situation with COVID, I feel to me, it's kind of a mass consciousness falling to the knees. And I fell to my knees, you know, long ago. So I'm huh. watching this in a big way going, oh, yeah, I, I, I know this terrain. So I can remain open hearted and present and um, stay mostly awake and aware through the process. And it, it seems, it seems familiar in some ways, but it seems like it's happening in a, in a, in a much um, like bigger way, lots more numbers of people going through this kind of confusing um, evolution of opening our hearts. You know, it's, it's interesting what you're saying. Um, last year, no, two years ago in April, no, last year in April, David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, wrote a column and asking readers to report to him about how they were doing during the during the early days of COVID. So this was like early April, right? So we were mm-hmm. three weeks or so into it. And within a couple of days, he had 5,000 replies. Mm-hmm. And his summation at the end of this column, which was so wonderful, is he said, it appears there's a river of woe, a river of grief running through our culture. Mm-hmm. And I love the image of a river because water goes everywhere. 
mm-hmm. everywhere. It just seeps in. And I thought his description of it, uh, summarizing the comments he'd gotten from people was really beautiful and very poignant. Yeah. And I think it is, it's breaking people's hearts open, but it seems most people were already carrying hurt and heartbreak before this happened. It's like, again, that straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, and I think it can open us more fully to compassion for ourselves, for our journey, and therefore with others. And I, I love this quote. I think it was Ram Dass's, um spiritual teacher that said this. Compassion is the only emotion left for the fully realized human being. And it, I don't know if there's any shortcuts to compassion. It feels like we have to experience it form within ourselves to be able to bring it fully into the world. That's right. We can't, unless we're compassionate with ourselves, we won't be able to tolerate uh, things in other people. Whatever we can't tolerate in ourselves, we won't be able to tolerate in others. So Absolutely. the practice of self-compassion is probably one of the most important active things you can do for yourself mm. and for and for the world. It's so beautiful. And here's another really exquisite quote from your book, Claire. How will you take your broken, open heart, your vulnerability and your tenderness and allow it to restore your own well-being at some point when you're ready and only when you're ready and have enough energy to reach out? Mm. How will you allow your grieving heart to connect with others and make the world a little more welcoming? That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's well, my intention. Know, think, to make the world more welcoming. Mine too. <laughs> I feel that. I hear yeah, that. I to make the world a kinder heart. place. Yes. That's right. I, I think I wrote that book for myself. <laughs> to give myself <laughs> I wrote permission. Too. I wrote too for me. <laughs> to, we teach what we need to, to learn. Counter. Right? <laughs> well, we do. We teach what we need to learn. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. So, I mean, this grief you feel, I would just say to people who are listening, is not for naught. Let it guide you. Let it take you where it will, because it will take you somewhere beautiful at some point. But you have to be patient with it. And you have to allow the process, not fight it, not shut it down, not put a wall up. Oh, my goodness, Claire, I love you so much. I wish I could have like three more weeks of you. You're such a gift. Well, I think I think you should have written the book. I think you should have written the book, actually, Tammy. Oh, good You've Lord. You've had a lot of experience uh, with this. I thought about writing another book, but I have horses now, and it's just a lot more fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I'll take animals any day, too. <laughs> Love my horses. That so, makes Claire, sense to me. Yes. Where can people find this amazing companion and friend on their journey to opening their hearts wide open? Well, I have a website, openingtogrief.com, and you can contact me there, or you can buy the book anywhere. You can buy it at a local bookstore, or you can buy it on Amazon. But I try and encourage people to support their local bookstores because our retail stores need all the help they can get. And I'm afraid that COVID's going to do in a lot of local stores. And so try to buy the book locally if you're in a position to do that. So, But you can always get it on Amazon, and certainly you can read about it on Amazon and decide whether it's something you want to purchase so you can learn a little bit about it there too. Love it. Love it. Okay. We just have a couple of more sacred moments here together, Claire. And what are any final words of wisdom that you might want to share with me and our lovely friends and our wonderful producer, Tony Francini? (laughs) What do you have for a sweet thing? 
I think the one thing I just always come back to is to remember that your grief is an expression of love with no place to go. So don't push your grief down. Don't push down your loving. Allow it to just flourish. Flow and flourish. I love that so much. And I'm going to keep saying yes to that for myself. And to my friends, my guests, my lovely, lovely soul siblings and spiritual rock climbers, thank you for spending time with Claire and me and Tony today. And just know that we're sending you abundant blessings of grace, ease, compassion, respect, appreciation, and ever-expanding love from our hearts to yours. So let's journey onward and upward with grace and ease. God bless you. Bye for now.